It's Wednesday. Wednesday at one. I'm back. We're back. Everything's been kicking off in the news. It's not going to be a surprise what we're talking about today, but we're going to talk about it anyway. It's important. The world has been shaken up. Oh, hey, was it that much of a surprise? We're going to unpack it all today. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, all will be revealed in 16 seconds. 15. 13, 12. Woo! I'm excited. I'm boiling. Oh, it's hot. All right. Here we go. I gotta act professional. Hello, everyone. Oh, I'm actually surprised. Get rid of my surprise. Hello, everyone. I'll put that away till later. My name is Stephen Drew. This is the Architecture Social. We are live Wednesday at 1 p.m. in the UK, but we've got an international guest today. I know it's boiling, but thank you all for being here. Grab your pret sandwich, but we're going to talk about something which I'm sure a few people have heard in the news. It's going to be no surprise to some people what we're talking about. Um... So without further ado, we will do the topic. And I have, the, I should introduce my guest, which is the one and only Mariam, who I know through the ROBA. And Mariam is Vice President of Students. Is that the correct title, Mariam? Is that right? Yes, and associate. And associate. Welcome to the stage. Thank you. Thank welcome, you. welcome, welcome. Right. I sh I'm going to quickly bring up the banner of today's topic which was we are talking about is the Bartlett the tip of the iceberg, an iceberg of toxic culture within architecture education. Now, if anyone's been living under a rock, and I don't blame you because we're all busy in architecture, working frantically, and I wonder where we all picked up that attitude from, potentially, who knows. Um, there was a report that came out from the Bartlett um, which was an, an independent investigation for the Bartlett, which uncovered in, 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 in many people's words, basically a lot of things that have gone on that I'm sure some of us do not feel comfortable about that it existing. You know, this kind of toxic culture of students working long hours, um, engaging in, in um, you know, abusive behavior and experiencing it from their tutors, allegedly. Um, so the, we have this report that's come out. You've probably seen it all in the news and you've read a lot of stuff online. And one of the awesome articles that I read was actually from Mariam here. Um, so Mariam, first of all, do you want to tell us a little bit about why you felt you wanted to write about this report at the Bartlett, which reports toxic behavior, long hours, um, you know, stressful situations, uh, discrimination uh, at the Bartlett. I think um, the first thing is foremost is like, I'm a student too. I just finished my part too. So- Hey, well done on finishing. <laughs> thank, you, thank you. Well done, well I, I done. Uh, you did. As, as I took on the role of, um, you know, vice president of students and associates, a lot of students came forward to me uh, multiple times telling me about what's been happening and their experiences in architecture schools. Yeah. And it's it's not just the Bartlett, unfortunately. You know, right. they, 
this is widespread. Um, and some of the examples or stories that I heard, you know, go all the way from, unfortunately, you know, mental health issues and, you know, alleged suicide or even some classmates going to that extent to just kind of some dark places to just in terms of just having uh, really bad crits where some students mm. end up in tears. And I've also heard from Bartlett students themselves who've also expressed their kind of discomfort at what happens in the Bartlett, mm. what they felt even before the story bro broke out. Right. Mm. It's uh, it's it's one of these things. Now, I used to be way back when, because I know I'm getting on, I, I studied architecture as well, and I was lucky that I didn't have this experience which was mentioned. However, I think it's, it would be quite naive, isn't it, Mariam, to assume, especially when you're hearing so much from architecture students that this is just maybe blown out of proportion because as well, I've been in this role as an associate. I speak to a lot of students as well. And a lot of students can have amazing experience in architecture. Some can have a little bit of these stresses, which are talked about long hours, maybe heated discussions, like you say. But also I have as well spoken to a few people that have experienced these kind of horror stories. And I believe what they're saying as well. Before we talk, though, as well, I just want to remind everyone here, if you do work in academia and you are an awesome teacher and you are doing the right thing and you are nurturing your students in architecture, then you should be absolutely proud of what you do. And I think that part of what's going to be tricky in this conversation is that, you know, it's about other behaviors of Bartlett everywhere. And as you say, Mariam, you're hearing stories that there is that that these behaviors are more places than the Bartlett. But I'm not saying here we're not picking on any individuals in particular however i do think though if you are involved in architecture education then maybe we're at this point where we need to kind of have a deep look into it have a think about the what we've been hearing in the news and as well as that reacting to it and i think we need to have that conversation so that's kind of my thoughts in, in the start and if anyone and, and maybe what i can do to kick this off right because i did a little linkedin poll Right. So bear with me one second. Blue Peter style. So I'm going to get my stuff. Give me one second, Mariam, because you know what I'm like with technology sometimes a little bit slow. So I did a, um, a, a poll last week and this poll said this open question to LinkedIn. It was out to 30,000 people. And I think in the end, 12,000 people saw it. And they said recently a report exposed a toxic learning and teaching culture at the Bartlett. What are your thoughts? So there was four options in total and 265 people voted. And 7% of people said that they are alarmed and surprised. That means that they had, had no idea this thing was happening and that the news of it was absolutely shocking. Okay. 66% of people who did the vote said, this is alarming, but I'm not surprised. So that means that people have actually been, uh, you know, they, they, they were shocked at the outcome, but actually mm, that kind of makes sense. Or I've heard of things before. The other 23% said, I've been aware of the abuse. So these are people that are kind of being told, maybe a little bit like us, Barry, of these kind of behaviors, and they've been made aware of it. 
And 5%, so that's roughly, what, 11 people out of the 265 people that voted said, I've experienced the abuse. And so obviously I want to be very confidential to the people who have done it because when you put up polls on LinkedIn, being transparent, you can see who's picked that. And um, I, I checked, and out of those 11, I think eight people did work at, uh, did study at the Bartlett. So... I just wanted to ground this conversation with just a little bit of things that even I've heard of. And, and these things scare me. And there's a few things, Marion, which I find distressing. So the number one bit that's distressing is that people are alarmed, but I'm not that surprised. You know, I mean, what's your thoughts about that? Have you experienced people thinking the same thing, Marion? Oh, I mean, I think part of it is architecture school is told that it's like a very tough, you know, and you go into it and the teachers yeah. have some sort of, I mean, they'll preach to you about their experiences and their experiences were probably like kind of almost worse. Um, and then mm. I feel like it's almost systematic. So they'll be like, no, we're way nicer to you than, you know, previous right. architecture schools back in the day when you're inking a drawing and then they would come and scribble all over it, you know, um, you know, if you, I guess, if you printed a drawing, you can reprint it. So supposedly, you know, things have changed. But uh, I think architecture school is very tough. And the yeah. way it's taught is very tough in terms of like, you know, you have to be confident and you have to showcase your work and you're presenting it and all that. So I think that's why people are like, oh, well, the education system is tough. So, but then they're not shocked because if you went through it, you're like, if I've seen people maybe cry, I've, you know, I'm, Maybe I've, yeah. uh, I've seen somebody's work get absolutely, you know, or I've heard. Destroyed. Of, yeah, like, uh, oh, I didn't like this perspective you took. I mean, sometimes that's that's okay. Sometimes you need that critical feedback. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's absolutely uh, part of the course and it toughens you up a little bit. But to, to what extent is, is it acceptable if somebody's, let's say, you know, morally kind of, destroyed or unable to work or, you know, having to suffer kind of like, you know, experience mental health issues. I feel that's when it starts, like we have to start drawing a line here. Yeah. 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 I, I think, I think, I think you're right. It's, we have to pause and reflect on this. And actually while we're talking, Tarina said, absolutely. A lot of architectural education is modeled on the Bartlett with tutors that are taught there and studied their teaching across schools in the UK. So thank you, Shireen, for sharing your thoughts on that. Can I just Maybe add on to that, Stephen? I mm, think it's, it's interesting because the thing is, we say Bartlett is the gold standard of architecture schools, and it's the right. number one architecture school in the world. So that's why I think it's so... Um, maybe it's a little bit shocking, but I guess I guess some people are not even surprised. Um, so if this is the gold standard and this is the best architecture school, then what does that say about our other architecture schools? You know, if they're trying to kind of mimic the Bartlett in the way that they do things, like trees. Mm. Yeah, it's like, what, what, what are the priorities? Because I, I know what you mean, because I remember when I was especially a part one or part two, and if you hear that people got in the Bartlett, I was like, wow, you yeah. must be clever because... I couldn't get into the Bartlett, and um, I, I went to the University of Westminster, which was a is a London university, and 
I um, it was definitely tough, right? I was an undergrad. Part two is a bit different. I know they've, you know, part two, it's, it's, it's a completely different kind of thing at University of Westminster, but it, it was quite tough. It definitely was tough. But I was, I was fortunate. I didn't experience abuse. I didn't see abuse. But having said that, you know, you're right. Westminster, I felt at the time, looked up to the Bartlett's and the AA is a bit of an anomaly, but you've kind of got the London circuit of, architecture universities well you have um, also the riba medals you know a lot of them you know mm. sometimes bartlett students are winning them and, and obviously you know it they have high standards but i guess what the article and the report exposed is those high standards came at quite a steep cost which yeah. is people's well-being um can't tolerate yeah well you you kind of you carry these things through and i mean I'll be honest, there was one or two all-nighters that I did in architecture education. That's probably my fault because ironically, in the end of the year when I did my final, you know, the way like you've done your part two and uh, now, you know, the final year, I basically started organizing my time Same. better. So, so ironically, I, yeah, <laughs> I didn't do any late night hours in the end. So that was a me thing. But um, I, I do think that, especially in architectural practice, and I can see in an architecture university, there's this romantic notion of like people suffering and like, I've been in the it's studio like, for three days. It's sometimes like a showing off kind of thing. Yeah, it's it, exactly. Some students kind of saying, well, I stayed up for, you know, 48 hours. How many hours did you stay up? It's like, and it's like whoever looks like they've suffered the most and are most... Uh, you know, dying with their coffee in their hand and their drawings on the other. It's just like, yeah. it's kind of like a look, you know, if you think about yeah. it. Like 20, 20 packs of cigarettes and an all-nighter yeah. and just black coffee. It's it's um, With under-eye baggage and just, and a hoodie, obviously. I know it's 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 quite alarming, and I think that can uh, the, the the riskiness is that can transcend into architecture practice. It's like okay, this is what's expected in an architecture practice, the and thing I think is, with all nighters in specific, they do cause you know they can cause mental health issues and people to feel a little bit more down and depressed and mess with their emotions. Mm. So it's not exactly like a positive thing. It does mess with people's well being. So. You know, so there are some schools that say, you know, we, we are addressing, you know, but it's like, how are you addressing all nighter culture? It's already there. It's part of the architecture. How are you dealing with them? Expectation at the moment. So it's part of most universities kind of expectations. Like, oh, yeah, you go to university, you're going to pull an all nighter at least once in your life. Oh, and it's so cool and blah, blah, blah. But it's it's honestly, you know, after a while you start to see, well, this is really not the best way to kind of use your time really. Especially yeah. at 3 a.m. Yeah. I, I don't think you anyone else ever has a great idea at 3 a.m. It's just no. I remember that, and it was it's like a it was like a silly thing to do. Like uh, basically, when it got to one o'clock, I was still working, but it wasn't really productive, Mariam. Yeah, you know, exactly. and and it's 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 completely crazy. And I think the other thing I think we're just on that topic now. I'm going to get rid of this for a second, and we can bring it up a bit later. The other thing that I was always thinking of is that. So when I studied in university, it was it just gone from £1,500 a year to £3,000. And I was one of the unlucky ones. Now I feel really lucky. But it's <laughs> it's what on average £9,000 as a, as a, as a, yeah. as a, a oh, I forget the word, like a national student. Then if you're an international student, it's like something crazy, like £20,000 to study architecture. And I think that 
we have to be aware as well. I mean, if you're spending like £9,000 a year on architecture education, the goalposts have shifted, right? You know what I mean? It's like we are as, as, as and especially when right now in 2022, when you, there's the cost of living so high and all this stuff. I mean, printing work is really expensive. Architecture education going into it is extraordinarily expensive. It's a five-year course to do part one and part two. And I think that as well, the goalposts have shifted. And I think as a culture, as a UK, you know, and then where things were going in 2022, and maybe as well, we're just starting to catch up on this stuff because we're like, hmm, is this okay anymore? And I and I I have to wonder as well if I was an architecture student right now, if I paid the current rates and the current cost of living, and I was getting tortured by a teacher being screamed at, I don't think I would enjoy it, Mariam. I mean, what what is it like at the moment? With you just finished now, like university costs and printing is probably really high. I mean, do you find that as well? It's, it's, it's very accessible to study architecture. I know you yeah. talked about digital poverty, but I'd love to know your thoughts on the current state of affairs as well. I think what happened is, um, you know, with the pandemic, we just saw like existing problems just come to the surface right. um, that already exist. They're just exasperated. Um, so I've done the RIBA uh, hardship fund multiple times. Right. Um, so this is just a scheme that the RIBA does, and you can apply and you can get some extra funding if you have some kind of financial strain on your course. There's also the RIBA bursary. I mean, these are great ways to kind of support students during their studies. Yeah. Um, but, you know, during the pandemic, we saw an increase in these uh, in the hardship fund, people applying even more. And, right. and, you know, you can't help everyone, which is a little bit sad. But some of the stories that you're getting, it's kind of repetitive, like things about digital poverty being like, you know, uh, or model making equipment being so costly that you have to choose mm. between, you know, buying model making equipment or food, which I find absolutely shocking and That's absolutely bad. unacceptable. It shouldn't. And, you know, when you think about it, if you're doing another course, I say like mathematics, you're not going to be buying model making equipment, are you? No, no you can't. You can't. You, you, you're never going to have to need to spend that money on that. And it's not like the government gives extra financial support to architecture students. Actually, you're taking on more debt because you're doing a five-year course, really. I, I know it's three years and gap year and then you do your year out, but technically you're taking on more debt than other students. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just by undertaking your course, you have more kind of financial strain on yourself in terms of there's the living cost and your caffeine addiction uh, yeah. Yeah. just to do the course. And then there's like the aspect of, oh, you have to buy model making equipment. You have to have a really high spec laptop just to render. Um, you know, it's not, yeah. it's no longer hand drawings anymore. That's just like first year. Most universities and students that I've talked to by second year, they're on the computer already. Um, and sometimes some universities offer computers but it's it's really depends on the university. So there's different experiences around. Um, or during deadlines, you see the computers get kind of um, more strain on them. So maybe uh, I'll give you an example of one of the students told me, well, we have to share our workspace with the fashion students. So then whenever it becomes close to deadlines, we're trying to print, they're trying to print, 
where we want to use the computers, they're using the computers, yeah. maybe some other course. So it really depends how the university is managing um, the course. And obviously, in certain times of the year, it will be more uh, stressful or more demanding. So it becomes more strain, more strain on architecture students in terms of like complete the work. And that's not even including, you know, having to deal with group projects and trying to manage that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's um, there's so many things that was going through my through my brain when you were talking there because it is true, isn't it? I actually used to. I was lucky because I was a bit of a gaming geek and I always like computers, and so I would have my 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 computer at home. I would loathe using the using the university computers back way back when because they were trashed or they were slow or or you had to like try to get one. Um, I was lucky. Like, fight another student or something and they took your computer you were well, you had to kind of go in early and all this stuff, which yeah. is fine because you should you know if you rock up like midday then it is my fault because i've been too late but it was um it was difficult i was lucky though um ooh, I, I don't know if i should say this because i will well i it's a good thing really but at manchester school of architecture I was a teaching assistant, so I was the social coordinator, which I hopefully I've lived up to now because I run the architecture social. So it was kind of the role meant to be, but I was so fortunate because part of that role was that I would get um, access to free printing and stuff. It was part of my perks. So that's why I said I shouldn't. It was like, thank you, Manchester. You rocked. But the, the, the secret's out there. Everyone, you should apply to be part of this student society and stuff because you will get free printing. Um, but yeah, it was amazing because I could do that. But then I used to, what I used to do, I felt like I was like the, the guy on the Titanic. I had like a boat and then I have all my mates who were like, Steve, can you print this out? And I was like, yeah, quick, come on. And I used to use my fob and I used to like like um print laundering you know i used to just like <laughs> smuggle people in you know my mates and um like one of my flatmate i would like put his work on there and it was technically mine and i'd rename the files so no one could see and all this stuff but long story short that was a fortunate position to be in but people are not in that position and i remember stuff like um you know, printers would jam sometimes and then you'd have to go to like Hobbs Reaper Graphics, which would be a shop and then you're paying a stupid amount of money. And, um, you know, I, another tip, I was lucky that in my final portfolio, I managed to convince my tutors that a digital interactive portfolio would be much better for my kind of work. And they agreed. And it was amazing because I saved printing out the cost. But um, go on. No, I was going to say, um, that's what I think happened in COVID sometimes. There was a little bit of a shift in some universities to no longer needing to print your portfolio and actually digital is absolutely fine, um, which I think is good. And it's also better for the environment. We don't need to be, you know, printing loads of paper and wasting it and reprinting, printing, hanging up, whatever. But, you know, I, I feel like post-pandemic, we have kind of, you know, I've heard stories, people have returned to kind of printing yeah. and whatnot. It's not it's not like everyone is not printing. Um it's still sometimes, I understand that sometimes it's needed, you know, for, you know, you're showing a big drawing or something like that. Uh, but there is a cost to it. And, you know, we have to be mindful, like other courses don't have to deal with that. Mm, yeah, well said. I think uh, while we were talking, I've had some comments come in. So Shatish says, I hope MSA aren't listening. You're right. I've exposed a loophole in the system. Um, I, I, I went to Manchester School of Architecture and I really enjoyed it. Um, personal experience was it was really cool. Uh, but yes, that I did uh, print my friend's works. I'm sorry. Um, 
Nick Dunn at the time, Richard Brooke. I'm sure they forgive me. They were cool. They were really cool with me. Um, but you yes. You just see Manchester looking up their printers now. I just actually. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they got a little cool they side. More, they moved toward digital, to be honest, because uh, like I'm at Manchester. and Yeah, good. Well, I'm pleased that we got to, I think uh, what would be awesome that I'd like to see, because there's a lot of universities which are doing it the right way. There's a lot of universities, as we were talking about, which could improve things. But I think more than anything now, I can talk about architectural employment because I work in a lot of architectural recruitment. I've worked in architecture practices and we have to start waking up to the current realities of the constra the constraints that we're marrying cost of living's high architecture education it's as you said is five years and you just nine thousand pound a year excluding living costs and stuff and i think more than anything with this report coming out it's a really chance to think about a how we're talking in the courses how we're engaging the students trying to calm down these like all-nighters it's not it's not um an amazing thing no one wants to be that you know the architecture the hero it's like that that's like a really bad approach like long hours in the night doesn't mean you save the day and you're a hero it means that this is not sustainable and while you're young you can do it when you're older you can't so much but what i would like to see to the point is that we need to um universities need to take into account the financial constraints that are going on it's not a critique um a university if there's anyone in academia it's more of a suggestion of going forwards i think the more we can embrace as you said marion uh, costs of printing costs of stuff like that digital property more access to printers sharing the stuff then surely that would be really really helpful i mean what's your thoughts marion I think it, it starts with course costs. So um, mm. I'm going to run you down what I've heard uh, from right. students about their experiences. So it's quite a multitude. Let's say we start off in the beginning of your course, first year. Some students will be, you know, some universities are amazing. They give their students, you know, rotting pens and, you know, the ruler and the oh, T-square cool. and all that kind of jazz. And the drawing board is available in studio. So they're like they don't have to spend extra money on those kind of things. Um, yeah. Because usually first year, predominantly from what I've heard, is generally hand drawing. So, but some universities might not do that. They might say, give you a list and they say, buy these equipment and get them sorted for yourself. So, um, and it depends where you're going, but it's just not that clear. Like when you're applying, are students mm. even aware that they have to buy these fancy equipment, you know? Yeah, uh, good point. They, they need to buy an expensive laptop at least by like second or third year that they need one for the course. And it's just like, if you don't have one, you're kind of at a disadvantage. So 100%. let's say your university closes, some universities are uh, 24 hours. So, I mean, you know, but let's say if your university closes, you can't do any work in the evening. Um, if let's say you're using the university laptop, um, but also um, compare that with people who do have the funds to buy an expensive laptop and some that don't. Mm, yeah, I, I agree with you. Shatish as well, I'm enjoying you in the audience who's saying, agree that students should now get printing included in the fees. The tutors are not always visible and that he also, we're all alumni here, Mariam. We, we all went to the MSA and at the time the fees were paid by the local authority. Can you imagine that? 
That would be lovely. I I paid off my student debt, but I begrudgingly paid every penny. Um, and yeah, I, it's even more for people now. But I remember the all-nighters quite well. There you go. You know, it's, it's like, I think a lot of people, we can't deny these all-nighters. I think um, it's very interesting what you're sharing. Another thing that popped up in my mind, because this is a really good time to openly talk about it. And I'm just going to go back to my points here. Uh, Mariam, is that so? So twenty three percent. It says they've been made aware of the abuse. Just to remind everyone from the survey that I did. So for all audio listeners, we'll repeat again. I did a survey asking about the Bartlett report. Are you surprised? Are you not? And two hundred sixty five votes came in, and sixty six percent of people said they're they're alarmed but not surprised. Twenty three percent said that they are aware of the abuse and. 5% said they experienced abuse. 5% of like 265 is what, like whoop, my mouse, like 11 to 12 people. I, 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 and as I said, I checked and eight people were at the Bartlett. Pretty shocking. So we're actually at a good time though right now, Mary, where we're starting to talk about these things. And I think now that as some people refer to it, this, it's been an open secret, right? We've all been kind of aware that this has been going on. But as you said, there's a lot of ifs and buts and there's a lot of, is it the way it's always been? Is it, there's a way of, oh, well, my university's good. And, then, and, and actually, we've got to hit this issue head on. And I think now is better time than ever. Do you have any suggestions for people who want to get the words out of there? If they're experiencing abuse or they have experienced abuse, is there a few people that they can talk to? I know that Charlie at FAF, which is, you know, on Instagram, will help bring a spectacle to these issues. But also, I'd love to know your thoughts because, you know, there's that side of it. But then there's also, you've been at the RIBA helping out the students. So are there any practical steps people can take at the moment to talk about some, if they're experiencing um, bad behavior or abuse or any shape or form? You know, most universities should have a process internally to deal with these things. Yeah. It's not really um, the RBA's role to kind of be managing this. This is kind of an right. internal university aspect. So how the staff mm. conduct themselves. And if there's an issue, there should be a complaints procedure where in which you can file a complaint and whatnot. However, my question is, do people, are people actually able to complain? Because mm. it's it's not that easy to just assume, oh, whistleblowing is just such a, you can't just, you know, some people are afraid their teacher will, might, you know, look down on them, not give them a good grade. They find out, you know, th there's some real world issues happening in terms of like, if somebody wants to complain and what could they do? Um, yeah. Do, are they in a position where they feel that they are safe if they complain? Yeah. Or, is it, or usually, you know, you take the, you know, the complaint is taken, but it's not like taken as, yes, that's for sure. You know, there's going to be an investigation or something that occurs. So there is a chance to say, oh, maybe that didn't happen or you know, um, we're not sure about this. Or then the teacher finds out and then you're like, I don't want my experience at the architecture university to be more horrible. You know, the, so yeah. you have to put yourself in the minds of these students, which is, you know, is it easy to make a complaint at university? Maybe this is like a university question, you know, how many complaints do you get? Does a university get? If universities get no complaints, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because I would say that's kind of a bad thing. That means people don't feel comfortable enough to complain. Right. You know, maybe yeah. you have to start asking different questions. But um, 
in general, there's also student-to-student abuse, which is interesting, um, that I've heard of, which is just, let's say, there are many group projects in some universities that require it. And I've heard everything from physical to emotional abuse uh, or even romantic abuse, you know, just stories of people, you know, dating a colleague and then they're in a group project and it goes sour and then it just gets a little bit out of control. And these kind of stories really showcase the lack of help you can get at university. It's like, do you talk to your tutor? Does your tutor acknowledge that you're having issues? Is it your, the tutor's responsibility? You know, at least in the workplace, you'll go to your HR and you'll tell them, you know, about this issue. And they're kind of the mediator in between. And, the, you know, if you, if somebody's annoying you, you can tell that person. But in, in architecture schools, it's like, do you go to your architectural tutor Will they acknowledge what you say or will they tell you to be professional or mm. dismiss what you say? I've, I've heard students say, well, I've told my teacher, but, you know, he, it was like tough. That's how you learn. You're working a group. You're an adult. You know, it's like, OK, what now? Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of like um, in my head, you know, you know, like chefs when they, they're training, they get Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. I, I mean, I admire what Gordon Ramsay's done, but make no illusions. He's definitely throwing two saucepans at, at like people who are learning. And then in cooking, there's always this romantic notion of, you know, this whole, you should. <laughs> and is that okay? <laughs> it makes entertaining when you're, um, when you're watching him, Gordon Ramsay on kitchen nightmares in this surreal world. But I, I assure you, um, it's not the same entertainment when you're in the middle of it and you're in this fragile situation. And I remember the stress of architecture is hard enough course anyways. And you're right. If you're halfway through, you don't want to kind of rock the boat because you kind of want to finish, right? So it's not as simple as you say of just like whistleblowing or reporting something because you know you're is? in this fragile thing. You know what it is as well? Most of the people who have kind of seen who struggle with more of these issues are people who have existing conditions like either learning difficulties or some sort of mental health issues. Mm. And then they just end up experiencing it in, you know, like worse or can be, or, you know, even like some people have told me I've experienced racism, but it's just like, how do you prove it? It's it's like, they've asked me like, I don't know how to prove it. And I'm just like, wow, like you have to acknowledge some people's experience of architecture schools, you know, they may look different to you and they have may have come from another country. And yeah. sometimes maybe a staff member does have a bias. You know, you don't know, or maybe maybe even the staff member isn't aware that they have this bias, that they're 100%. just being a little bit harsher on the student. But um, I've unfortunately heard stories where students have said, you know, this. I think the staff member hates me, or uh, you know, they're they're meaner to me in the crit. They're not. They don't say this to the other students, or uh, or just they feel like they're being discriminated against. And you know, do. I think we need to acknowledge some people's experiences. We can't just ignore them and say, no, no, this is just all in your head. There, There is no yeah. way this is happening in our school. But it's just like, but that could happen anywhere. That could happen in the workplace. That could happen while you're walking. That could happen in a supermarket. So why can't it happen in architecture schools? Absolutely. And I think the, the thing is, 
while there's a lot of, as you mentioned, employment, you know, the professional circuit of architecture, you've got a lot of good employers. And we've all heard the horror stories of long hours and abusive cultures as well. So it's kind of like a theme where it works in both ways. And, and you're right, before architecture education is an untouchable subject of that's the way it is. And I, I do think that it's it's good. You know, I'll, I'll give a good good example. So in Manchester, mm. we have um, like basically the almost like a disability support and and I mean Siobhan Barry, shout out to her, she's amazing. And I know Siobhan, yeah. She's yeah, cool. she looks after like the whole school almost in a way. Um and basically if anybody has a problem, they end up kind of going to Siobhan and she's a pastoral care head. And uh in terms of, you know, some people might be going through life problems like grievances, loss of a loved ones, you know, <laughs> You know, sometimes life happens when you're in an architecture school. It doesn't just stop. Uh, so some people might have personal problems that they might have to deal with. And uh, so it's just like, what can you do? Well, there are things in university, like external circumstances, that if something happened to you, you could apply for that. And some universities don't maybe inform students that much that, right. you know, if you're having a personal problem that you could get, you know, an extension perhaps, maybe a little bit more time because you're facing something that is out of your control. Um, so some students aren't like, you know, just aren't even aware that such a mechanism exists as a support. So, and yeah. perhaps if they knew they could use it. Yeah, I think well said. And I think that's a good bit there. So shout out to um, Siobhan, do a clap to you. Because we need stuff like that. And it's, and I think as well, it's more important than anything not just to talk about the, the 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 kind of the bad behaviors and that toxic culture but we also need to talk about examples of of teachers who have gone above and beyond to kind of pull into that direction of you know being awesome on making architecture education as least difficult as possible i think and and if if anyone listened to our conversation in academia um, that's what I'd like them to take away is that there's a massive opportunity here. Yeah, definitely. To... I mean, even I've had some amazing teachers where they've kind of come up, you know, you have personal experiences or sometimes some teachers, they just kind of, they understand what it was like to be a student. Yeah. So they very much encourage you and support you and give you that confidence that you need to kind of finish your mm. course. And I think, you know, just because we're talking about the negatives doesn't mean that we are not acknowledging all the positive and Correct. all the good and great teachers out there. And definitely they should be a prime example of, you know, this is the kind of architecture school we want to see. Um, but also, you know, acknowledging the elephant in the room, not everyone is, a, you know, perhaps a great teacher. Yeah, correct. I, I agree with that. And um, there's one or two teachers that I key remember. I remember one teacher in the University of Westminster who no longer works there. And I was just working in the studio one day on a computer. Now the blue came up to me in the back and he went, oh, what are you doing this and that? And he went, hmm, I think you're going to be something someday. You've just got it. And I was like, I remember. And then he just walked on. And I remember, well, it wasn't architecture, but uh, I'll try and do something with the architecture social. But I remember that little comment while I was stressed out to hell with all the stuff going on. It really made my day, you know, and that little nugget, whether it's sometimes you share a beer with the tutors and what University of Westminster, you had um, you had one or two, you had what's called like a tech night um, where Pete, Pete Silver 
um, would do, was it's a good teacher there would, you know, you do a talk and then people go to the pub after. And it was really fun, really inclusive. Anyone would come along and it was absolutely amazing. So I, there's little moments like that I remember through the hard work. And I think we all have those and we should all recognize the awesome bits. And that should be something that we push forward I on. Think- I think you're right also, you know, we have to acknowledge that teachers are also people, you know, they have their own lives, their own families, their own problems as well. So, you know, definitely, you know, props to teachers there. Yeah. They're doing a very difficult job. I mean, having to deal with me, for example, in class, I mean, yeah. I think, and you know, them. but it definitely, um, we have to be mindful that they have also internal academic pressures, you know, I don't know, submit this research, get this done, yeah. moderate like this, mark this. So definitely we have to be a little bit sympathetic that, you know, teachers also go through a lot of stress too yeah. uh, and are yeah. trying their best. Sometimes they are really trying and going out of their way also to support students. Yeah, exactly. And so we got Michael's left the comment here. I actually had Michael on uh, one of my podcasts before. Michael is a tutor at the a new college of Lanarkshire. And I made the famous faux pas in the first 10 seconds of our interview. We're calling it Lancashire, which is not, it's Lanarkshire. Um, I, I really like what Michaels does, which is in my opinion, really awesome stuff. A little bit unconventional, but I like unconventional, such as World Skills UK. So they enter Mariam into like, you know, gladiators of BIM and all this cool stuff. I'm like, when I was studying, there was no gladiators of BIM. So you should oh, check cool. out. Yeah, shout out to Michael here. I've got to quickly as well do my hosting duties because Vibe posted um, some awesome points. Of, well, let me read them all now. If I look like I'm ducking, it's just because in my current system, I can't read it out. So for all our audio listeners after, uh, Vibe kindly uh, left a comment saying, complaining of my undergraduate didn't work at all. There is a dismissive nature to it where you can get away, get all the way to the top, head of school and be given empty promises. It's somewhat demeaning to even face the consequences of speaking up if the complaints go nowhere. That's what you were saying before, Mariam, isn't it? About this feeling about, like, you know, I write a complaint and, and where does it go? He then followed up with, and I'll read this out and then feel free to jump in. In my undergraduate, one tutor gave four Indian guys lowest marks regardless of the work. I found that quite saddening, especially when these people outperformed me in that project yet were given lower marks even worse when these are international coming abroad and have to deal with that yeah which is very true it's very sad if that did happen isn't it and um i guess that's the point about what we're talking about yeah we could talk about awesome examples and gladiators and bim but then it's also really it kind of sucks when i hear that story about a prejudice as you said and i think vibe was talking about that when you were talking about unconscious biases as well as conscious biases and um you know i i agree with you they need you can have an unconscious bias you don't even know you're doing it and uh, but you if you just have the the right kind of support maybe from the university or your employer in this case then you can kind of work through those we all have unconscious biases i know i've had unconscious biases uh, we all do. I mean, think about it. If you ever get a cold call from somewhere and it sounds like an international voice, what's the first reaction people normally say? Where is this call coming from? What are you trying to sell me? And that's an unconscious bias. And I've seen that 
in recruitment where I, who Welsh, and the, that could be a little bit of a different unconscious bias because people go, hey, we're Welsh. And so I get my own kind of form of prejudice, which is somewhat um, supportive, yet a bit slightly racist sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's like everyone knows with the Welsh show. I don't mind it. But what I mean is in, in recruitment, if someone came from a call center and they, English was their second language, oh, my goodness, they've got to have an uphill battle and, and everything. You know what it is, you know? also, Stephen? It's the presenting. Um, let's say if this is somebody's second language. So I've had mm. students say to me, English is not my first language. So I'm, I struggle presenting my work coherently. Yeah. Obviously, you know, everyone who comes into university to an extent has to know a bit of English. I think it's a requirement usually. But I've also had some people tell me, ah, I had group members who don't know how to speak English. And exactly. that's concerning. So it's just like, oh, you can't work with someone or there's a language barrier or people are struggling with the language. And then when they have to be forced to present their work, it's just like it's already hard enough to think of what are you going to say? And then it's just like you're translating in your head. I'm sure that's a little bit more tricky. So they yeah. would prefer to like write it or, you know, have some other means or, or, or way of explaining. Or sometimes the teacher might be a bit like, well, uh, what do you mean by this? And then they're just unable to express their what they're trying to say. And maybe this is a language issue sometimes. Maybe it's not a case of um, that they didn't want to respond to the tutor. But, you know, sometimes you can have uh, these kind of issues. Yeah, I fully, fully agree. So we recognize the issues. We don't all have all the answers yet, but I think we need to talk about this stuff. I'm glad it's not just an open secret anymore. It's kind of gone into the public domain. You know, should this romantic notion of suffering in, in the pursuit of learning architecture be something that we aspire to? Hmm, not so sure anymore. Um, what I was going to say now, um, Mariam, is because we're at this kind of nice winding down point. And I'm sure if this is the first time that people have met you online and they're like, who is this Maria? I know you quite well. Some people don't so much, but can you tell us a little bit? Because you are running again, aren't you? As in the RIBA to represent students, and while it's awesome that there's two other people as well going for it, and hey, I'm happy any student put themselves forward. But can you just tell us where people can find information about that, where they can reach out to you, where they can vote if they want to, all that good stuff. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you so much, Stephen. So, you know, I personally um, decided to run again um, just after the Bartlett scandal. I just realized that there is real opportunity for change here. And yeah. to be honest, architecture schools are just not good enough and we can do better. And mm. this is a chance to really improve the system and be more uh, kind of critical and think, you know, students deserve to be respected. Um, mm. So it just kind of made all the work that I've been doing in the past few years kind of, uh, you know, from digital poverty to trying to understand what students are facing is that, you know, these issues are still continuing. They don't get solved overnight. Um, and But I, I want to try and at least solve some of them. So I, I guess that's why I'm running again. So in, in terms of like following, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm also on uh, Instagram. Maybe it's not Mariam. A uh, bit of a joke there. Um, yeah. And I'm also on, on Twitter. But uh, in terms of voting, it's going to be, I, I don't think we're starting just yet. We're going to start in 
28th of June to 26th of July. That's the voting period. Uh, but I definitely want to encourage architecture students to vote, you know, who aren't even aware that maybe there is an RIBA voting election. And they can also vote for the president. So yes. that's it's a good time to vote this year because often, you know, we've got a different selection of candidates. And so I appreciate you running again because I can say this. I've worked alongside you in the group and I've admired what you've done and you've been a good help for me since joining the RBA. So personally, I can vouch for that. But a little bit wider than that, you raise a good point, Marion, because even at the moment running for the RBA president, you have um, what you'd call inside candidates of people who are used to the RBA, and you have outliers, outside the candidates as well. And I think um, I think that you should vote for whoever you want. But if you've been feeling jaded in the past, like, oh, I can't be bothered, my vote doesn't go anywhere, which I actually understand because I can feel, I understand that level of fatigue. Now's a good year to actually get involved because we're all talking about this stuff. There's no longer open secrets. And I think that we can really think about, you know, what kind of RABA do we want? What kind of architecture? Yeah, you have to education? use your voice. Like, that's, that's the way. Mm. Like, sometimes we can't just say down with the system. Sometimes we have to engage with the system as well. Correct. So, you know, use your voice and vote. You know, there's no point like making it go to waste. You know, read the candidate's statement. I mean, if you like mine, okay, sure, vote for me. But like, if not, you know, maybe it's somebody else. When yeah, you read votes. your IBA presidential, um, you know, candidates, you can Google them yourself. You think, which one aligns with what I'm thinking? You know, will yeah, this person correct. help uh, change the industry in the next few years. I mean, I'm not telling you that, you know, architecture is going to absolutely become this like amazing place or whatnot, but can't we at least hope or try to make it better? Yeah, I agree. And I think there's been a lot of good work that's gone into it. We've, we've, we're having difficult conversations right now. There's still a long way to go, you know, and we're going to, you know, we prefer, whether it's professional architecture in the profession or architecture education, there's still a long way to go. And that's a good thing. It's exciting. We can do it. And there's an opportunity here to be the trailblazers. You know, there's an opportunity to be the most awesome, caring architecture university and the same thing for employers. And the reality is, I'm sure it would work this way in architecture education as well. But if you're recognized as the best, then you're going to get more applicants from super talented people who want to be there. Much like it is in architectural practice, if you're a good employer, you look after people, you don't really need architectural recruiters like me much because you, people come there all the time. So um, for me, I feel like we've had an amazing, unscripted, open conversation. I really appreciate your time, Mariam. Unless you have a burning question for me, we can end the podcast. Um, and maybe the question is about my, my hologram lights behind. I'm going to keep extending that so I don't look like I have a tinfoil hat on me. But, you know, any other questions, Mariam, before we sign off? No, that's it, Stephen. You know, uh, I, I just cool. want to say also thank you to you. You were the associate member representative on the RIBA and you're coming to your end of your term. And Stephen has been doing amazing work. I mean, was, oh, that's kind. Amazing oh, well, I'll be... and, and we need a little bit of a clap for you as well. Oh, really? Here we go. That's very sweet of you. I, I still like to get involved in stuff, but you know what? Um, it's an ongoing thing. So if I, even if I'm not going to be in the RBA, we can still collaborate, all that stuff. It's an ongoing effort, and that's what I love. And I think everyone should get involved. And you're right. I'm going to say the well, last thing before I go is that I remember when I was an architecture student, there were things I would change about the RBA, and I got a little bit disenfranchised. And I think that getting involved 
um, it was really quite um, revealing. You know, it's a lot of people with really good intentions, a lot of hard work, a lot of good work that needs to be done, though. A lot, and as Mariam said, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be improved. So do get involved. Do vote. Thank you so much for tuning in. Drop Mariam a message. She's really cool and she probably will reply. Um, but give, give her a moment because, you know, not all at once. Uh, thank you so much. Mariam, stay on the stage for a little bit. I'm going to end the live stream now and we will see you soon. Everyone out there, take care.